0: Welcome. Welcome to Talking Through the Numbers, a podcast produced by Wilder Research. Our goal is to provide insight on significant issues. We want to combine sound information with expert knowledge to enrich our understanding of things that affect our communities and our world. I'm Paul Matesek, Executive Director of Wilder Research. Today's topic is Sex Trafficking and Exploitation. Thanks to our guests, we have two experts with us today. The first is Laura Sutherland. Laura is the Safe Harbor Regional Navigator for Southeastern Minnesota, holding that position since it was created in 2014. She has trained over 10,000 service providers on sex trafficking, exploitation, and safe harbor. In addition, she has provided prevention education to thousands of middle and high school students on these topics. She chairs the Olmsted County Human Trafficking Task Force. Previously, she served as an assistant attorney general for the Wisconsin Department of Justice. Our second guest and expert, Laura Schauben. She's been with Wilder Research for 14 years. She co-leads the evaluation of Safe Harbor, Minnesota's statewide initiative to address commercial sexual exploitation. She also has lived experience as a survivor of child sex trafficking. Her areas of interest include evaluation of programs seeking to prevent or address violence, mental health, and behavioral health concerns, as well as programs promoting economic development and equity. So thank you and welcome. Today's topic is sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. Laura and Laura, could you briefly explain what we mean by sex trafficking and sexual exploitation? For purposes of our discussion today, how would you define that?
1: Well, so the terms are often used interchangeably, but they're different. So sexual exploitation is the exchange of sex for money or something of value, such as housing, and and sex trafficking is when... That money or something of value goes to a third party. And they both fall under the umbrella of commercial sexual exploitation.
2: I think uh, an example that we see a lot in our work with our clients in terms of sexual exploitation is just what Laura was mentioning that uh, sex for a safe place to stay on any given night. You know, as we all know, unfortunately, we have far too much homelessness here in Minnesota, and sometimes that warm bed and place to stay is, is pretty important.
0: Mm-hmm. Now, Minnesota has Safe Harbor, which is an initiative, a program. What, what is that doing related to this?
2: Safe Harbor is Minnesota's statewide umbrella program for addressing both exploitation and trafficking in our state. We're very fortunate our legislature has appropriated millions of dollars for services for victims and survivors, ranging from housing to legal services.
1: And it also included um, the
2: decriminalization
1: of being sex trafficked for youth. So it used to be that if somebody was prostituting a youth, they would be in trouble under the law for um, exploiting a minor. But then the minor would also be in trouble under the law for, quote unquote, prostitution. And what the law did is say youth are youth. And and that that's not a criminal act, that's an act of victimization.
0: Sure. Now you you use the word prostitution. How does that fit into our topic today? Is it the same, different, overlap?
2: I think that's a great question. I think for a lot of folks, when they hear that word prostitute, they think of someone who is perhaps willingly engaging in this, you know, sometimes maybe a working girl. Uh, But what we know is that that is very, very rare, that for most folks, it absolutely is a matter of exploitation or trafficking. So here in Minnesota, we've really shifted that paradigm that we're not using that prostitution language anymore because we know better.
0: Okay. Um, speaking of what we know, what do we know about sex trafficking and exploitation or not know about how big a problem this is in Minnesota?
1: We don't know very much at all about its prevalence, about you know how many people it's happened to for a number of reasons, because it's an act that's intentionally hidden on the part of the trafficker And because for the victims, they um, are often groomed in a way that they believe that the person who is hurting them is in love with them or that it's their fault or in some way that they're the cause of the problem. And for other cases, like we heard in the research, in one region where it was just considered quote-unquote normal for youth to exchange sex for transportation so there's some sort of norm around it that um, prevents the youth from knowing that it's a problem so so it's hard to it's hard to count because it's hidden for a number of different reasons
0: it's hard for everybody in a sense to identify and therefore it's hard to count and get any good sound data on the prevalence you're saying? Sure. Laura Sutherland?
2: That said, thanks to Wilder and Safe Harbor, we are starting to collect some data on that. For the, the region that I work in, southeastern Minnesota, since Safe Harbor has been implemented, we have worked with over 300 victims of exploitation or trafficking. And certainly statewide, I think that's well over a thousand victims. Yeah, so as of March
1: two thousand and seventeen it was fifteen hundred victims. So we do have a count of the number of people served. And 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 we do know that it happens across the state and to people of all races and of all genders and of all incomes. So we know yeah, we know that piece of it.
0: Yeah, and Laura, Laura Sutherland, you you're representing Southeast you mentioned southeastern Minnesota. Just uh how much of the state is that? How many counties? How many people? Twelve are, counties. Twelve counties, mm-hmm. so that would
2: include Rochester, Rochester, Olmsted County, but but many others as okay. well.
0: Twelve of the uh, eighty-seven counties. Okay, so uh, you both started to talk a little bit about numbers, uh, trends. What? Uh, how would you characterize the major trends and the major issues that you're you're seeing?
2: Well, one of the trends that uh, is very hopeful to us and that we're excited about is that we are seeing more and more service providers actually uh, begin to assess whether a person is at risk for either exploitation or trafficking. And those service providers range from law enforcement to social workers to probation officers to healthcare professionals.
0: Okay, so the the various systems are getting involved and the staff in those systems are starting to understand this better and to... Definitely. Try to, try to
2: definitely, look. We've seen a huge shift since Safe Harbor was implemented in 2014 to now. I mean, one specific example of that I can offer is St. Mary's Hospital in Rochester has actually implemented a formal algorithm to assess each person that comes into the emergency room for whether they might be at risk for this. And that has absolutely less led to increased identification of victims, and uh, importantly, connecting them with the services that, that they need for once they leave the hospital.
0: That's impressive. Did, did they develop that on their own, or did they get it from somewhere else?
2: That uh, that was an effort internal at Mayo, um, but we're very pleased that they reached out to us at Safe Harbor, too, for, for our input in that.
0: Hmm. Uh, Laura Shawman, are there implications that you've uh, seen as a result of the trends or the kinds of things that Laura Sutherland is talking about?
1: Yeah, so um, through the evaluation, we've seen an increase in people's awareness around commercial sexual exploitation. We've heard qualitatively about um, incidents where um, hotels or schools have been trained, and then more youth or young adults have been identified. So we've seen both an increase in training and then awareness and then identification, which is really ideally how it's been set up.
0: Okay. And just to clarify, I know Laura Sutherland was mentioning that, uh, that the formal system was becoming aware. Uh, when you say people's awareness, are you talking about the general public or the members of the, the service providers or both? Or who do I you think mean? both. I mean, okay. so
1: definitely service providers, so but awareness we've seen is going it up among all of them. In the general public as well. Um, I had written a blog, just as a personal example, I'd written a blog a year or so ago about Safe Harbor. And at the end of it, I came out as a survivor. And several people from my daughter's school then went to the school, because in my case, it was a teacher who proved very helpful to me, and went to this school and um, got training for the school. And then they also went to the St. Paul Public School District and are working with the Safe Harbor Navigator for... Um, Ramsey County to get training for the school as well. So you get to see these really lovely connections of, you know, awareness leading to people really wanting to do something and then something being done.
0: Okay. So it sounds like there's some positive momentum uh, moving towards solutions. Uh, What is working in efforts to address sex trafficking and sexual exploitation? What could you point to as effective?
2: Well I think there's a number of things that are are working uh, we're we're very grateful of course for our law enforcement partners that are so critical to address this issue we have Many law enforcement agencies across the state who are proactive in doing undercover operations to identify both the buyers, purchasers, as well as the traffickers. Uh, we we also have a, a vigorous law enforcement response at the state level by the Bureau of Criminal Apprehension to provide additional resources to local law enforcement agencies on this. So um, that that's a that's an important element of our overall uh, response to trafficking and exploitation, one of the important elements.
0: Laura Charbonne, anything you would add to that?
1: I would just go back to the piece about decriminalization and changing the framework to think about people who are being sexually exploited or trafficked as victims. I think that has been a large change and a really important one. And then... I would add also, again, to that idea of collaboration that really important relationships are being built and trust is being built. So part of it is getting the systems to work together so you can have a seamless continuum of services. And part of what we saw in the beginning was that um, some services were hesitant to refer to other services because they felt very protective of their youth and young adults. So those collaborations are both improving services, but also improving referrals.
0: Uh, Building trust, it sounds like, is important both for the formal system as well as for the general, general public. Do we know anything about what helps to build trust?
2: I think one thing that we have seen is very impactful is when we can work directly with survivors to help uh, message out the importance of these issues of exploitation and trafficking. It has taken a while, frankly, in Safe Harbor to get to the point where we are working with survivors who are far enough along in their own path that they want to be speaking publicly and uh, training providers uh, but but we're starting to see that now more and more and I think that honestly that does kind of create trust because it takes so much courage and vulnerability of a survivor to be willing to share their story And so when a professional hears that not just from you know a state bureaucrat but but from someone who's actually experienced it it's like, oh, my goodness, I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then especially if that survivor is willing to state um, where there were kind of some missed opportunities along the way, you know, perhaps with a probation or law enforcement or hospital staff, that, that opens everyone's eyes. And, you know, I think we're all working with the same understanding that we're all well-intentioned in this and, and wanting to move our state forward. And the the more we can be working together with survivors as well as our providers in the community I I think trust just naturally builds over time.
0: Sure do you do a lot of that debriefing with survivors to figure out like where in the chain or the pipeline things could have been improved?
2: Yes and our trainings that we do with uh, survivors that that is a whole part of their presentation to to identify some of those places because you know all of this I don't think is intuitive you know unless we have people point out to us where the gaps are um, and where things could have been done differently. And unless we have the humility to to recognize that, um, we're, we're not going to move forward. But uh, again, when everybody feels safer to share because of the decriminalization in part, um, we're just going to do a much better job, I think, as a state overall.
1: And I think the other advantage of including survivors is that they then provide role models, and there's a real shortage of role models for people who have been victimized by commercial sexual exploitation, in part because there's so much shame around it. Not, not deserved shame, but it's just how it feels. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's another great
2: piece of that is you end up with public role models. I just want to echo that for a moment. We had an example of a, a survivor that we've been working with in Olmstead County who shared in the media and to our county board of commissioners And we had a bump up in calls from victim survivors after that saying, oh my goodness, I never knew there was help. I can't believe she had the courage to do that. I now want to step forward too and even ask for help. So what Laura is saying about the role model um, issue is that's so true. We've really seen that Hmm. play out.
0: So maybe something the other regions of Minnesota should know about and try.
2: Oh, I believe they are trying. They are. Yeah, Yeah.
0: Well, um, Today, Let add. I just one more thing yeah.
1: about the trust piece. The other place the trust piece plays out, which actually Laura Sutherland could speak to you better, is that we learned early on in Safe Harbor that youth and young adults don't come out as sex trafficked or commercially sexually exploited right away. And so the processes had to allow for that. Like we couldn't have a system where people, like you said, you immediately qualify or you immediately don't because it takes some time for the youth or young adult to feel comfortable talking about it. So building trust with those youth and young adults is some of the things I think that Safe Harbor service providers and navigators and housing providers do brilliantly.
0: Oh, okay. Good. And we're going to maybe get into even some other things you can tell us about the research in a few minutes. Uh, What I wanted to ask at this point, as we're talking about the solutions, is maybe if each of you... um, pick one thing we know there's a lot more work to do but if you had to pick some action what is the most important action to take or the most important thing that needs to be done laura sutherland do you have a suggestion
2: sure though it's so hard to focus on just one i know (laughs) um I have to be practical and say that we we need to keep fully funding this uh, right now through Safe Harbor Uh, All of the regional navigators have very large territories. Some of them are 17 or more counties. And so it just makes it really hard to do the work that we need for victims and training of professionals in the community. So I'm so grateful that Minnesota has uh, started this process of addressing um, this issue, but, but we need to keep it up full throttle. Uh, so that, so that would be one practical suggestion okay. that I Laura,
0: would Charlton, I know you want to inject something too, but, uh, you've, you've used the word regional navigators once or twice during the conversation. Could you just tell us what, what is a regional navigator and how do they actually make contact with the uh, survivors?
2: Sure. Under Safe Harbor, we're charged with helping to implement the Safe Harbor program throughout the state, and we have a variety of responsibilities. One is we're really meant to serve as the first point of contact for uh, for victims to help coordinate services for them throughout our region, to provide trainings to providers, as well as to the community, to do prevention work in the schools. Um, So that is part of our role, in addition to working on task force in local communities to uh, help develop a collaborative, multidisciplinary response to trafficking and exploitation.
0: Laura Shawman, what's the one action you would recommend?
1: Well, I'm going to take this from a research perspective because I couldn't narrow it down otherwise. Well, that's
0: why you're here though. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so,
1: And it's fitting. Um, so from a research perspective, I really think we need that well-funded study to look at the prevalence and needs of, so the prevalence of commercial sexual exploitation and the needs of people who are experiencing it, because um, we want to make sure that the money that's being appropriated is served, is used in the way that best fits the needs of the youth and young adults who are meant to benefit from it. And I think we're taking really great educated guesses, but knowing more about who is being impacted and, and what would benefit them would be really helpful.
0: Okay, sure. Well, while we're on the topic of research, Laura Chauvin, um, what else have we learned from your research that, uh, hasn't been mentioned and might be valuable for people to know who have an interest in this topic?
1: I would say that we have um, great services that have been developed under Safe Harbor and that we need more of them. Um, Specifically, there's been, uh, in our evaluation, a lot of um, discussion of the need for more emergency housing and long-term housing, as well as more services in rural areas where these are, again, gigantic regions and very and services can be very spread apart. And then finally, for services that are 24-7, because youth and young adults are often in crisis in the middle of the night, which is not typically when services are available.
0: Sure. And you studied the whole state. Yes. Did you find any differences among different types of populations or different regions of the state, urban rural, the greater Minnesota, Twin Cities area, or different uh, racial groups, or any, any kinds of differences in the, in the work that you did?
1: So, um, not quantitatively, but qualitatively, like in terms mm-hmm. of like what people have talked to us about in interviews and focus groups, people, we've heard a lot about the need for more culturally specific services. Mm-hmm. So, and I think each region is doing its best, but often in regions, it relies on one or two people. And if those people leave a mental health center or uh, or a sheriff's office, then again, there's a shortage and just flyers and materials that are in different languages. We've definitely heard that there's more need in rural areas for services. And that's what I can think of off the top of my head.
2: One one thing I'd just like to add to that is that uh, we really do need to keep uh, ensuring that adult survivors are not being lost along the way. Mm -hmm. Safe Harbor is a program designed for those individuals who are age 24 or younger. And there is quite a movement in our state right now to address the needs of adult survivors and victims. Mm -hmm. Uh, But certainly in our region, we are regularly receiving referrals for adults. And so so we absolutely want to be able to take their needs into account as well. Okay. Yeah. And only...
1: Um, 17 and under is decriminalized. So while Safe Harbor can serve people 18 to 24, it's still a criminal action that they are being trafficked or exploited.
0: Yeah. So um, there's a lot of information out there about sex trafficking and sexual exploitation. What are the resources or sources of information that people should trust when they want to know about this issue?
1: So I would say the safe harbor navigators are always a good place to start because their role is to really know their region and what's available. How
0: would somebody find a navigator? Uh, I
2: I would echo, Laura, I'll make a shameless plug for a safe harbor. Uh, Anyone can go online and just Google safe harbor Minnesota and they'll pull up right away a map that lists all of, not only the safe harbor navigators, but all the also, all the support services and housing listed through the state. And uh, I think the state of Minnesota has done a great job in providing uh, education for all of our safe harbor agencies so that hopefully all the work that we do really reflects a victim-centered, trauma-informed, culturally sensitive approach uh, that, that is brought to our written materials, our trainings, and, and, of course, hopefully in our interaction with victims and survivors. Sure. And then
1: I would say in terms of research that you're looking for research that doesn't sensationalize the problem. So you don't want research that's telling really explicit stories of um, people being hurt or talks about vans and chains, because typically that's not actually how it happens. And, and that can actually just increase the problem by by promoting those kind of images, We're taking that angle.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And okay. then it's, I mean, sex trafficking recently and sexual exploitation has received a lot of attention, but there's actually been people who have been working on it in research and services for a long time. And I would tend to go to the more established people for my information. Um, balanced maybe with a peppering of some new thoughts and innovation, but there are people who are sort of just coming in and out because it's a big topic now and you really want people who have studied it for a while. And then lastly, just information that cites its sources.
0: Okay. Um, So in the last moment that we have, uh, again, maybe a question for each of you. you. If you consider the typical person, a resident of any community in Minnesota or in the United States, Um, if they said that they would like to do something about this issue, what is it that you would suggest to them? Laura Schaubin or Laura Sutherland or Laura Schaubin, you have your suggestion?
1: Yeah, I would say learn the warning signs of um, sexual exploitation and and what to do if you think there's a problem and who to refer to. I mean, both because we've seen that um, work in Safe Harbor and because it personally saved my life that somebody noticed the warning signs and at least was there to like help me find safety and build my confidence, if not get me out of the situation. So to me, that's the most important thing that any individual can do.
0: Mm -hmm.
2: I would suggest that uh, for folks who have an interest in this to uh, ask for a safe harbor training for their community. It could be their community. It could be their school. It could be their place of employment. While we've come so far, I think in public awareness of this, we know we have a lot more work to do. And, and that's part of the point of Safe Harbor is to kind of get out information that hopefully is research-based and again, victim-centered. So, um, you know, open the door and bring us into your communities.
0: Okay, well, thank you. Thanks to both of you. Our guest today, Laura Sutherland, the Safe Harbor Regional Navigator for Southeastern Minnesota and Laura Schauben from Wilder Research. Please visit our website, www.wilderresearch.org, for more information on the topic. If you have suggestions for a future podcast, please let us know. I'm Paul Matesek from Wilder Research, and I look forward to talking through the numbers with you on other topics.